Welcome to the Callaway Golf Podcast, part of the Callaway Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jeff Newbarth. Welcome to the Callaway Golf Podcast. Yet another quarantine edition, but this is our first international quarantine edition. Uh, we're going to test the internet, and uh, we're going to be joined by Ryder Cup captain, uh, victorious Ryder Cup captain, Thomas Bjorn, who I'm shocked is not holding the trophy kind of uh, currently, and by one of the players who was the star, uh, one of the stars on that team, Francesco Molinari, who I believe has the trophy uh, within view. Do you mind just turning and just give us a view? Because I think it's one, the first thing you have to do is when we have Ryder Cup heroes, we got to see it. There it is. There you go. Right there. Tomas, is yours, is yours close by or do you have it like in, in kind of a trophy case, lock and key? Um, no, the the real one is, uh, I think Podrick is parading that around the world. Um, so I was quite happy to give it to him and, and he can he can carry that around for, for a couple of years. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to be uh, live with you guys uh, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, Periscope. We want to hear your questions for these uh, great champions, and we will be taking all your questions. And uh, Jen, Matt, Josh, behind the scenes will be feeding to me, and we'll get all these things answered. But I want to start off with something that's sort of been topical, and I'll start with uh, with you first, Tomas. Um, you know, there's been all this talk about are they going to play the Ryder Cup? Are they not going to play the Ryder Cup? I don't want to get into the speculation of that because we don't know. Uh, but if they did do a Ryder Cup without fans, how do you think that would go down? Maybe for Europe playing in the U.S., it wouldn't be the worst thing. But what, what do you think about it? <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I, I just don't think that's a, a viable um, thing to do. I, I think the Ryder Cup is the fans, and, and no matter if it's in America, if it's in Europe, anybody that's played in a Ryder Cup, anybody that's been to a Ryder Cup, it, it really is all about the fans. And and uh, if there's a golf tournament in the world, that's the fans' golf tournament. That's it's the Ryder Cup. So. That would be a difficult thing to do, I think. I, I think it's right that the PGA of America and the European Tour are pursuing all the ideas and avenues and, and see what they can do. I think we're all in a world of un, uncertainty right now and, and also financial uncertainty. There's a lot of things that goes into making events like this happen. So, you know, that they have to look at it and they're in no rush, but uh, as a player, uh, as a former captain, I, I would say it's... It really is a difficult thing to see without fans. I, I just uh, I can't see players running around on greens and jumping up and down, and when when there's nobody around, you know, you you feed off the fans, you feed off the of the people that come and watch, and that atmosphere and just seems a, a difficult thing to play that event uh, without any fans. Well, on the other hand, I think you can play other golf events without fans and and get going again. You know, it's. You know, it would be good for TV. It would be good for this, for people at home to be able to to watch uh, watch golf on TV. Um, but the Ryder Cup is all about the atmosphere. Yeah, I should mention you guys are both over in London right now, uh, though uh, you guys are neighbors, but you can't go hang out with each other because London's under under lockdown. Francesco, for you as someone who uh, you know the fans probably wouldn't be supporting you this year uh, in 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 Whistling Straits. What would that be like? You think if if they said, "Hey, you can go out and play the U.S. and you guys can be in your uniforms and have opening ceremonies and no one will be there." What would that be like? Yeah, I, I agree with Thomas. It would be it wouldn't be a, a Ryder Cup to be honest. You know, it's uh, the fans has such a big role in in that tournament specifically that uh, I really struggle to to picture. You know, a, a Ryder Cup on an empty golf course 
with just 24 players going around and, and, and playing matches. Uh, I don't know. I, I understand there's, there's a financial, I guess, and, you know, economical side to it and, and the people in charge need to look at all those things. But from a, from a player's perspective, even, you know, someone like me, like you said, that would have played away from home, I guess, this time, uh, you're looking forward to, to seeing the crowds, even if they're, they're rooting against you. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's still part of the, of the magic of the, of the Ryder Cup. So we see. We see what they decide to do. You know, I'm sure no matter what, obviously, all, the, all us, the players, all the players, we will do their best to, to, to be there and, and to make the teams. But, uh, yeah, let, let's hope we, we don't get to that. See, I thought you were wearing the Michael Jordan shirt, not just because of the great documentary that came out this week, but I think you're kind of kissing up to the U.S. fans a little bit because Chicago's not that far from Milwaukee, and if you're sporting Jordan stuff, you know, maybe you got maybe you're just trying to butter them up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it would be a bit too early, and they, they probably forget by, by then about my, my Jordan T-shirt. I don't think that would, would change uh, too many opinions. All right. Uh, Tomas, I want to ask you this one. Um, as someone who has experienced being the captain, what would it potentially be like if there aren't enough events really to have qualifications like picking 12 players or what, what, what's your stance on how they, they would have to do qualifications for a team being someone who had the, the task of putting a team together? Yeah, that's, that's going to be a difficult, uh, difficult thing to do. You know, I, I think, um, I certainly wouldn't want to be captain having to pick 12 players. I think that's a, a a big task and and also people are, haven't played enough golf really over the summer to 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 judge what kind of form they're in and you you end up maybe picking people on uh, on past experiences and uh, and what they've done in the past uh, but then we also got to look at the big bigger picture i think i guess you know in in the way of does it is it that relevant? Uh, you know, it's a golf match. It's uh, it's an important golf match, but it is a golf match. You know, and and in the way the world looks right now, let's go and play with whoever whoever's going to play and and try and and make the best of that. Like we have to do with with golf and and any other sport when we eventually get going. Let's just make the best of it and and try and and get going and. You know, I, I always look at it and without getting too political about it. You know, I always look at it in a way of saying uh, that it's not really about the golf results right now. It's not really about who wins football matches or who wins uh, golf tournaments. It's about getting the ecosystem of sport going again. Uh, you know, it's like getting old people working again and, and try and get the, the world up and rolling. You know, that's that's kind of and having big sporting events, you know, it's about all the, the caddies and all of the manufacturers and all the journalists and TV people that, that work in our businesses that get them back into work. And, and that's the important thing. Who wins the golf tournaments and, and, and sport events is, is really irrelevant right now. Uh, let's just get going. And, and that goes with the Ryder Cup. You know, I look at it and go, yeah, so if it's going to be, even if it was the same two teams as last time, you know, it will, will, it'll still be great fun to watch. And the golf might be a little bit more rusty than it is normally, but it'll still be good mm. fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that brings us, so we have some questions. Let's start with Lee Perch. I'll start with you, Francesco. Do you think it's easy to jump straight back into high-level competitive golf given this lengthy break? Now, you have 
uh, a wonderful practice facility in your living room right there. So I'm not concerned about you. But for those who don't have such an in-depth, beautiful, uh, state-of-the-art facility, how do you think they're going to yeah. go? High-tech, high real high-tech. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a huge question mark for all of us. Uh, but a bit like Thomas was saying, you know, we, we whenever we get to play again, we'll be so happy to play that at least for a, for a few holes, we we won't get mad if if we hit bad shots. Then then I'm sure we'll be back to swearing and and uh, wishing we we never play golf. But uh, no, I, I don't know. It's a huge question mark. I think it would take some time for sure. A few weeks, you know. Hitting shots in a, in a net is is one thing, but then hitting you know playing playing golf on the golf course is is a completely other thing. So maybe guys who uh, you know just depending on where they live have been able to to play golf during these weeks months will have a slight advantage for the first few weeks. See, I've I've been hitting in a net almost daily, so uh, I'm I'm ready. I just I just don't you have ability. Out, that's that's what's gonna that's what's gonna hurt me is the the lack of ability. Thomas, for you, it's kind of same question. What what do you think about the layoff and um, particularly those of you who who are you know sort of city bound? Um, you know, it's it's different. You know, we had Kevin Kisner on the podcast last week, and his house is on the back end of a driving range, and basically he's been living at the driving range. Uh, but for players who haven't been able to do that, how do you think it's going to uh, impact them, and how long do you think it's going to take to kind of get their games back in order? Yeah, I mean it's tough. It is obviously is tough to to be able to uh, to get going again. But you know, most guys will just you know you're looking so much forward to practicing, and that's not always the case either. So I guess when once you get going, you you'll be on the range for hours and hours and and getting into it. And and guys in general are quite good at at picking it up. Uh, sooner than uh, than you think you know I, I grew up in Scandinavia and, and living in a country where you couldn't play golf in the winter you know every time spring came around you hadn't played golf for four or five months and you you, you get on a dry wrench you hit a lot of balls and you pick it up quite quickly and, and then you get out there I think your mind will be fresh so and that's that's a big part of it as well that your, your mind is fresh and you're wanting to play and you're enjoying playing um, so I don't think it'll take long I mean the first few weeks there'll be a a few guys shooting numbers that we're not used to seeing them shoot, but you know that's the same as coming off big injuries or long layoffs to injury, and and people seem to pick up that quite quickly after after injuries. So I don't think it will take too long. It's just um, it's just getting out there and, and being able to practice. Yeah, for worldwide players like yourselves, you guys never get a break because it's whether you're playing on the PGA Tour, then you know the European Tour, and then. You know, there's events all over the world and, and obligations all over the world. So you're right, the, the, the mental uh, part. All right, we have another question from Bob Holden. Bob needs a putting tip. My, my putting tip is to go get a triple track number 10 because you'll make everything with it. Um, but I'll, I'll defer to the experts here. Uh, Tom, Thomas, why don't you start? Uh, what would a putting tip be? Maybe something you can work on at home uh, for Bob while he's uh, kind of quarantined. Yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, there's obviously a lot of exercises you can find on online and and with a lot of good coaches. The one thing that I tend to do when, and I, I did when I was a kid when I couldn't get outside, it was that I I tried to actually do things where I, I did uh, I do a lot of chipping with one hand and I do a lot of putting with one hand and try and keeping my my angles in my my wrists. So you kind of learn to keep your wrists still, so that there's no excess movement in your hands so try and, and stand there and and actually feel the putter with one hand and and try and and not um, not make the wrist move too much 
the putter gets very heavy when you put it in one hand and practice with that on. Try and hold the putter in, in one hand and, and not make the wrist break down at all. That actually teases the hands to, to work correctly. All right, I'm going to do this right now. Uh, Francesco, you, you have a little putting facility right there. I was going to grab uh, my pata too, yeah. Yeah, do it. Let's let's go. I mean, how can you not do that, right? When someone when someone says to hold it with one hand, so just kind of work on the motion and kind of keep it like that. I feel like my putter is getting better. I'm getting better already. That's good. That's the bar was low. Right? was really low. <laughs> exactly. The bar was really low. All right, Francesco. What about you? What's a putting tip? Uh, we actually just released one on odysseygolf.com uh, that we shot at the players kind of right before this whole thing started, where you showed people how to use triple track. What are you working on in the uh, in the home facility right now? Yeah, well, obviously you're, you're limited, but you know, uh, if you have a, a rug or, or a putting mat like I have just just behind here, uh, what I tend to do is tend to work on tempo. Obviously, you know, the, there's no hole, but you can see how how far the balls are, are rolling out. Uh, a good exercise if you have 10, 15 feet, you know, where you can roll a ball is maybe maybe close your eyes, uh, use two or three balls, and then try to hit the the or three parts the same distance controlling your, your speed and your tempo uh, but like Thomas was saying you know it's just trying to find ways really to to keep the, the brain engaged I guess you know it's uh, it's been quite boring for for everyone not not getting out but yeah try try to make the most of it well one thing we've been doing on odysseygolf.com I don't know if you guys saw this but we put out uh, the first of what's going to be a series of kind of called home course we're inviting people to make their own home putting golf course. And the first one was under the bridge, which uh, was not just a tribute to the red hot chili peppers, but an idea where you had to take a coffee table or some people took a pool table or whatever. And you just kind of did a putt at your house that went under the bridge under a table or something. I think those are things that potentially, you know, when you're in the Ryder cup or in a major, maybe that'll help you if you practice the under the bridge, but I don't know which one we're going to do this week. We're working on, uh, on a couple other ideas, but odysseygolf.com, check it out. And uh, I'd love you guys to participate. Just make a little video of your under the bridge, butt and post it, use the hashtag home course. All right. We got a couple more questions. Uh, this one's from one of my favorite uh, guests who tends to email the show a lot, Josh. Uh, wants to know for both tours, your favorite stop on the PGA Tour and then your favorite stop on the European Tour. Tomas, let me start with you with PGA Tour first. Uh, I, I always thought the Players' Championship was my favorite stop. I, I, uh, the golf course, I thought, was always unbelievable. It's a great week. It's uh, Yeah, that's, that was always the one that's, uh, that I felt really... Uh, and, and back in the day, and now it's back in that day, it was also the lead into the Masters, which was kind of, uh, it was, mm -hmm. you felt like the golf season was starting, really, and you, you had the players, and then you had where uh, you go up to Atlanta and play Bell South and then, then head, head down to Augusta. It was kind of the start. You really felt like that was the start of the season. So that was, uh, that was a cool place for me. Um, in Europe, um, I mean, we move around a lot, and, and there's, uh, I think... I still think that when we go and play our Dunhill Links, I still think that that's probably my favorite week of the year, go and play those great Links golf courses up there in, in October when you can get all sorts of weather. But it really is a, a fantastic week for, for everyone. Um, so I, I enjoy that week very much. Yeah, I love watching that one back here. Francesco, for you, you want to start with uh, in the United States and then uh, favorite stop in Europe after that? Uh, yeah, I would say United States... Uh... 
I'm honestly more of a West Coast guy, so I was thinking probably Torrey Pines. Uh, oh, that's like a mile. Like, I literally can open the window and go about a mile that way, and we can be there. Lucky you, yeah. It's a yeah. it's a great course and you know a beautiful spot. I, it's just a week that I enjoy every year, and it's kind of really the the start of of my season, or you know it has been the last few years. So it's a uh, it's always a nice week to go back and and see everyone. Uh, and in Europe, I'm divided really between Paris, the Golf National, where we play the Ryder Cup. But obviously, we played the French Open there many, many years. And uh, went to us just not far from here, you know, just outside London. Uh, I guess it's our Players' Championship, you know, back here in Europe. Uh, again, beautiful course, great crowds every year, and one of the events really with the with most tradition and, and history here in Europe. All right. Uh, obviously, this time of year, normally, uh, as you both mentioned, Augusta, uh, that's kind of what would normally be on our mind. But now we're going to do Augusta in the fall. And our buddy Josh would also like to know, uh, start with you, Francesco, what do you think about a Masters in the fall? What's that going to be like? It'd be, it'd be interesting. It'd be, you would expect, I guess, the weather to, to be different, uh, a bit cooler. Uh, We'll see if, you know, how, how it will look like. It might be a few more orange leaves, but they, they have a few tricks up their sleeves there. So they might manage to, to get it perfectly green, even, even in November somehow. But no, we look, you know, we, we're all looking forward to that. Uh, it's one of those tournaments that you will play really any, any time in the year, even in, in January under the snow. So it'll be interesting to see how different it will play, but we will enjoy that week, no, no matter what, really. I think they'll have a person assigned to every leaf. And if that leaf falls, that person's job is to remove the leaf where nobody sees. So I think that that's probably uh, what they're going to do. Thomas, what, what do you think about a Masters in, in November? That's something like we've never seen before. Yeah, but I, I kind of, knowing knowing Augusta National, I'm, I'm sure he won't feel much difference. They'll, they'll make it happen and they'll make it perfect. That's what, what they always do, no matter what ob- uh, obstacles are in their way, they always make that, uh, that golf course perfect and they'll make. I mean, I've, I've been fortunate to play golf there in October and uh, 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 once and, you know, it's, it's still great then. And it, it was just, it would be another Masters. It will just be great. Once you're through those gates, um, everything is, is perfect and pristine and, and they'll put on a fantastic show like they always do. Yeah, the only thing is, though, if, if you win, you get the green jacket. You only get to keep it till April. You know, you don't get that. You, you kind of lose half of your half of your time. Maybe they'll let you take it an extra couple months. I mean, I guess you, you're you, you, you're a champion for life, so it's probably probably the benefit outweighs the the, the little downside. But those kind of things care. I think about. Do you think you care too no. much about that? So no, you'll that just, probably wouldn't you'll be take first. It. See, that's, that's the stuff that I think about. All right, Neil Parmeter wants to know: Is Whistling Straits the Ryder Cup course an advantage or? disadvantage for Team Europe? He asked that on Facebook. Uh, Thomas, what do you think? Is Whistling Straits advantage or disadvantage? Um, I don't think I don't think it's if you're going to find a golf course in America or find golf courses in America we'd say, well, this sets up pretty decent for Europe. Uh, Whistling Straits would definitely be on that list. Um, there's not so much you can do with that golf course to to you know, it's sitting there in the dunes. It's it, you can't really change it too much. So, 
And I think also there's a golf course that uh, most of the team that uh, that's going to be there and uh, have played before. And I think that's a big thing for players that they come to a golf course that they've been on before and they know where everything is and, and how to play it. So, you know, the, the big thing in the Ryder Cup is still the crowds. It's still that, you know, that kind of feeling if you get the crowds against you, uh, it's, it's tough. It, it can be a, a, an extreme tough thing to overcome uh, the golf courses. And I said that in Paris as well. You know, there's a lot of talk about the golf course. But when you take 24 of the best golfers in the world, you can put them on any golf course and they should be able to to navigate their way around that. And um, so I don't think the golf courses are, are that big an issue as it also used to be. These guys play together. You know, they play the same tournaments and the same tours. When you go back in the 80s and the 90s, you know, they it was two completely separate tours. It was completely different to play golf in Europe as it, as it was in, than in America. And now those guys play on the same tour. You know, all, all the 12 European players play probably the majority of their golf in America now, so they, uh, they they won't be too surprised of what they're going to find in in Whistling Straits. Yeah, Francesco, thoughts on Whistling Straits? Uh, yeah, we we've been there before, you know, for USPGA's. I think I've played twice there. Uh, beautiful, beautiful course. Uh, again, we we played it in August, I guess. In in September, October will be slightly different. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you know how how you you take advantage of the of the golf course. It's really in the in the setup, uh, and like Thomas was saying, whistling straights. You know, there's lots of bunkers. Uh, I don't think you know the, the rough makes that much of a difference. So it would it would play just as it's you know supposed to play, I guess. Uh, but yeah, we, we've seen Martin Keimer obviously winning the USPGA. So it's a course where European players have done have done well before. So not probably the the uh, you know the, the course that will give most of the advantage to the US. All right, we have lots of questions coming in online. Uh, we'll try to rapid fire through these. Uh, Francesca, I'll ask you first, which, uh, this is from Jake, uh, maybe Jake from State Farm. Outside of golf, what sport are you most excited to see start back up? Uh, all sports. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big yeah, soccer fan. I asked fan. you to pick one. Yeah, soccer, football, I should say, before I get kicked out of, of the UK. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're wearing the Michael Jordan shirt. Next thing you know, you're going to be playing for the U.S. Ryder Cup team. You keep that up. Tomas, what about Not you? Quite. <laughs> what 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 sport are you most excited other than golf to see? I am I'm with Francesco football soccer. Thomas Thomas's team is is was gonna win the, the league after twenty how many years? Thirty years of pain. Thirty, thirty. And now it's gonna be cancelled. Unfortunately they'll have to start over again. Uh, just, I'm assuming we're talking about the Premier League. Yeah, this is a typical West Ham fan that might go down, uh, be relegated. They are they are hoping yeah. it's gonna get cancelled. Well, fun yeah, fun fun fact. I I, I recently a couple of years ago started supporting the uh, the mighty Canaries of uh, of North City. So I'm I'm hoping they keep the season extended because that keeps us in the Premier League for at least another couple of weeks before we get sent back <laughs> down. <laughs> you and Francesco should should go for a drink and talk about that. We're on the All same right. boat, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I would love to do that because that means I'd be out of my house. All right, next one. Uh, what is more nerve-wracking? This is from Tyler. Uh, first time being 
in contention at a major or first Ryder Cup experience? Nerves. Tomas, let me let you start with that. Uh, Ryder Cup. Uh, Ryder Cup is, well, I always, you know, I've been in contention in major championships coming down the stretch on Sunday. Francesco's won a, a major championship. So, but I, I think the way I always describe it is the Ryder Cup is the back nine on Sunday being in contention, but it starts on Friday morning. That's how you feel the whole week where when you really get in there in a major championship, yeah, you get, you get nervous and you get right up there, but it is, it is really for that back nine on Sunday when it, when it starts. So the Ryder Cup make it's the same kind of feeling, but the Ryder Cup is just for, for three days where you feel like that. All right. Francesco, same question to you. You agree? Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, Ryder Cup, no, no, no doubts really. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I guess that you're playing, you know, not only for yourself but for your captain, for your teammates, for everyone else. And uh, yeah, just I, I don't think it, it compares to be honest. All right, next one is from Lippard Tom Two, also known as Tom. Upon resumption of play, are you guys more confident in your physical or mental game? So, Francesco, do you think what do you think is going to be first uh, to kind of come back and get back to where you were, say in March, mental or physical, or none of uh, the above, or all of the above? De- depends how much I'm going to eat from from now until the the end of the, oh, yeah. the lockdown. I what guess. have you been? All right, so tell me about that. What's what's the uh, well? What's the food situation a- been like? Anything that I can find in the house, basically. That's that's been the diet. Uh, no, like but jokes it. aside, I, th- I think the, you know, mentally we're definitely going to be fresh, obviously coming out of, of the gates after a long break and, and really, you know, raring to go and, and uh, wanting to, to get out there. So I think that the mental side will probably be quicker than the, than the physical side that might take a little longer just to get back into swinging a club and, and you know, playing golf. All right, Thomas. Have you have you broken anything in the house trying to get some swings going on, or are you focusing more on the mental game? Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, I guess you, the the one thing that you can work on is the mental side. I also think that uh, in this kind of situation, but I also think that I think mental side of golf is maybe not taking it as serious. And I think once we get out the other side of this, I don't. I think we'll it'll be a while before we take everything too serious when it comes to the sport again. We'll just. Uh, might be a little bit more relaxed about everything and that'll set you up set you up well to play well um there's going to be some rusty golf though man that's uh i don't know there's going to be a few things to deal with there all right francesca there's a uh there, there's kind of a union of people who do interviews with golfers and it's required that if you have an open champion in the room you have to ask them about was the open championship final round the most pressure you've ever felt in an event if i don't ask that i lose my card i can't do this anymore so there's your obligatory. Was it the most pressure? Not if we include the Ryder Cup. No, no. I was watching the other day, actually, here in the UK, they were showing uh, Medina, the Ryder Cup of Medina. And uh, <laughs> it just brought back memory of being last out against Tiger. And phew, they, they were not nice memories. Nice memories in the end, but not, not throughout the match. So have you been watching? Have you been watching some of the old, the old golf that's been on? I watched that because it was on on Sunday, and uh, yeah. I don't think I, I watched you know the, the full thing ever ever since because usually we don't get a chance. And uh, yeah, so I watched that, and uh, yeah, my my heart was just racing throughout 
throughout the 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 show and uh, incredible incredible day really yeah that's that's definitely the the most pressure i ever felt on a golf course that's that's the one day the one situation all right and thomas how many times have you watched uh the the Ryder Cup where you were victorious since the start. Are you just you have on a loop, just watching it over and over and over and over, or, or have you given it a break for a couple of days? <laughs> no, I haven't. I watched it right like two weeks after the Ryder Cup. I watched it all just to to kind of get my mind around which order everything happened in, and and you know through TV you get an overall view much better than you do when you're on site. So. I wanted to watch it, and then I actually did a like a watch along with uh, with one of our Sky Sports presenters uh, the other day. So I, I watched uh, I watched the Sunday singles again, which was quite uh, quite interesting. I, you know, there's certain things that you forget, um, but now it's um, it's not something that I. I sit down and, and watch too much it's uh, see i would just have another tv and just always have it on as maybe it's nah. not your main thing but every now and then you can kind of look over and see it all right we had a question from mark on youtube i'll start with you thomas here tips to make it to the pga i'm assuming pro golf not an instructor as a young teenage golfer and he appreciates uh you giving him an answer i would say first is talent uh after talent though what are some of the things that are going to make a difference well i think what I see when young players come out is that the guys that play a lot of golf, like out on a golf course and testing themselves on a golf course and, and get out there, that, that's the one thing that, that a lot of kids lose today. They, they tend to be standing on driving ranges, hitting a lot of golf balls and think that's the solution to become a successful golfer. I think when, when you talk to a lot of guys that are, have been successful in their careers, they, they find a way of playing golf all the time and, and being out on the golf course. And then yeah, later in life, you, you get down to knock, knuckling down and, and hitting the balls and, and do the technical bit. But when you're a kid, you've got to be out there and, and play golf courses and learn to play the game. Um, there's too many one-dimensional golfers in the world that don't make it because they don't understand how the game affects them. They can go out and play on a, on a calm day and play that one-dimensional di game. But golf is not like that. You, you, when you've got to make it as a professional, you've got different golf balls, you've got different conditions, you've got different kinds of pressure. So you've got to learn how to play the game in different ways. Some of the greatest golfers will, will always say that what they had, they had like a, a, a go-to shot when they got under pressure. They had a shot that they could fall back on all the time and, and hit. And that's, that was never a pretty golf shot, but it was always a shot that they, they, could, uh, they could take out of the bag and use when they felt extreme pressure. And you don't really find that on the range. You find that on the golf course when you feel like, here's a shot that I don't feel comfortable, I can't hit. Well, I can go to this shot and I can make it work. It's a shot that works for you. It's not a, a great golf shot, but it's a shot that works for you. That was always the thing that admired me the most by Tiger. Uh, I always felt like when you played with him and when he was at his best, when he wasn't playing his best, he always had a shot that he could pull out and that put him in a position where he could manage his golf uh, from uh, and that enabled him to shoot scores when he wasn't playing his best. Uh, and then he would go to the range and sort it out. And then when he played his best, it was just phenomenal. But learning on the golf course to, to find a, find a way of playing when you're not playing your greatest, that sets you up for a good career. Yeah. And that's where, you know, of all the accomplishments that Tiger has, and there's so many, we could probably spend the next hour listing them. that, that made cut streak was just so impressive because there were so many weeks where he had two days and he didn't have it. 
and he somehow managed to, to get himself in position and then let his mind kind of will him to make that cut. Francesco, kind of same question. What advice do you have to a young teenage golfer besides having uh, the practice facility uh, of champions that you have there? Uh, what, what would you encourage them to do? Uh, yeah, Thomas's ad- advice was, was great. I remember when I was uh, maybe 15, 16 uh, I kind of started, you know, getting a bit more serious about golf and I just started uh, like kind of playing the, the local competition in my town every every weekend. And, uh, you know, it was really not very good golfers, but, you know, it was just the fact of being out on the course playing 18 holes Saturday and Sunday every weekend and, and learning to, to put a score together really. Uh, that's definitely an aspect of the game that you need to learn. I think when you're when you're young, uh, and it's one of the biggest keys to to being a successful professional. So that's the that's the number one advice, no doubt. Nice. Well, speaking of uh, advice for those who are trying to turn pro, we have a cool documentary. Uh, shout out to Sean Gilroy and Cliff Ensley on our team who put it together. Shintaro Bon, who. Uh, was an All-America at UNLV, actually qualified for the U.S. Open uh, a couple years back ago at uh, Shinnecock. Uh, we spent some time with him kind of on his journey. He was actually getting ready for PGA Tour uh, China Q School when we sat down with him in February, and that was one of the first events canceled due to the, the coronavirus. So we have a cool documentary. It's about nine or ten minutes. It'll go out later today on CallawayGolf.com. But for uh, for that question mark that might talk to you, what is a young uh, golfer have to do to get ready. You can check it out kind of in Shintaro's words. Some other uh, content you're going to want to check out the girls and golf podcast, Lex and Sarah have uh, Carlotta Shinanda and uh, Georgia Hall on tomorrow. So that should be a pretty awesome conversation. And then uh, Nate and Dave on the fitting room had uh, quarantine mailbag questions, which was pretty cool. They answered a bunch of questions and they have Dylan Fratelli next week, who has the distinction uh, like Francesco playing a lot of triple track in his bag. So clearly bright, bright, smart, talented individuals use triple track so you're gonna to want to check that one out right one one of the favorite things in my bag yeah for sure exactly all right and i expect to see your guys home course challenge video last question i have for you and this is for thomas uh nick mcanelli is my new boss we only have three to four hours here can you give me some dirt on him and can you give me some advice for uh for dealing with uh, he makes me call him sir nick is that is that what he had you guys call him or is that just something he's doing to me that was some, there's only one Sir Nick, and he commentates on TV. That's not Nick McAnally, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but any advice for dealing with him? You know, it's always it's always uh, nerve-wracking when you have a new boss come in town. Mm, he's not that frightening. You've got you to gotta make fun of him. He, he's, he takes it pretty well. He's okay, easy well, to make fun of as well. I did hear that uh, most of you in Europe were happy to get rid of him, though. So uh, we, are, we are happy to have him over here as well. But... Uh, I do, uh, I do know he has a great relationship with you in particular and with a lot of uh, our Callaway staffers uh, overseas, so it's always good, too. I can't wait till we can all get together because uh, I'm certain there's a couple good laughs happening then. Definitely. All right. Well, Thomas, Francesco, thank you guys so much for taking some time. Uh, I do love the Air Jordan shirt. If you haven't seen the Last Dance documentary, just public service announcement, go watch it. Uh, it's on every channel, it seems, right now. Uh, thank you guys so much for being a part of the Callaway Golf Podcast. We are going to be back on Thursday. We have Olin Brown, who's going to be joining us. Olin's going to be joining us from South Florida. Lots to talk with him about. Uh, and if you didn't listen to our past episodes, uh, we had Stenson, Furick, Willett, and Leishman on together. We had Kevin Kisner on. Plenty of them. Go check them out on the Callaway Golf Podcast. Until Thursday, uh, have a great rest of the week. Stay safe, everyone, and we will see you Thursday.